I used to be very, very, very shy, probably until I was late teens when I started developing more confidence. And it comes with the experience of being able to travel alone and you have no choice. You have to speak to strangers to ask for directions and things like that. The views, information and opinions expressed in this podcast and this YouTube channel are solely the views of the individuals involved. It does not reflect the views of their organizations, employers and employees, past, present and future. Uncool is produced by Creators at Work and Story Machine. Hey folks, here's something I think that you should check out. This exciting workshop about how to harness the potential of AI and Web3, covering topics that touch on how to understand and utilize AI tools to building new spaces, new brands, and new worlds. This specially curated workshop dives into the exciting world of AI and Web3 to empower you to push boundaries. It takes place from November 17th to the 19th, so scan this QR code to find out more. For our audio-only listeners, you can search for Empowering Creatives on Eventbrite. Like this show? Then rate it 5 stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Winchong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. Okay, so Yenling, after like half a year or more, I think it's been that long, we are back again with more uncool conversations. We do this all the time, right? And on the cool podcast, we talk to people like what we're doing right now. But do you wonder, are we really communicating with people like truly? Yeah, it, it used to be a lot simpler, wasn't it? I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like I can talk to you and you're all the way in Pittsburgh. It's a lot simpler with all these tools we have. Actually, talking to people has become a lot harder. Right? I mean, like, okay, just imagine, like, previously, before we had all these tools, right? Like, what it was for us. There's this vision of what it was like, like, you know, in walking around the, the, the estate, in the playground, and then all the neighbors are going, oh, hello, good morning, and then, and then you have, like, the neighbor with the dog walking by. No idea if it's literally accurate a memory, but I get a feeling, though, that talking to people then was a lot simpler because just people were a lot easier to talk to people were nicer yeah and maybe because like we were kids and we had no shame so it was easier to make friends oh, yeah. at the time maybe <laughs> <laughs> that is true that is true so but at some point between when we were kids and now talking to people became harder talking to people became uncool but you know what sean that's why we are back uncool is back in this fifth edition and it's called how to talk to people where we unpack things about how to make talking cool again. And we'll be talking to many people who are great in talking. And it's clearly important, especially for us, uh, you know, for freelancers, for business owners, self-employed. Actually, anybody who's professional would at some point, right, have had to talk to someone to get things started. You're right. Yeah. And there's so many nuances of communicating. It can be uh, from the way that uh, you look, your first impressions, to your body language, to your accent and your tone. And it all starts with just opening your mouth and reaching out. So in Season 5 of this Uncool Podcast, uh, How to Talk to People edition, we are going to explore exactly that. How do we do community building? How to initiate projects in modern life today? And so, you know, it just feels like 
how are we going to start a connection? And that's what today's episode is about. And as far as connections are concerned, I think today's guest is a man of many, many connections. It's Timothy Go. Yeah, seen him on TV as a newscaster. You now hear him on the radio on Money FM 89.3 as a radio presenter. And on top of that, he co-founded an online channel, is in the F&B business, owns and operates a boutique hotel in Uzbekistan, as well as a tour agency that specializes in tours to Central Asia. Okay, so Tim, in this in the How to Talk to People podcast, we would like to always ask um, ourselves and our guests, when and why did talking become uncool? Is it uncool? I'm not sure because I enjoy talking to people and I think there are still people out there just like me who love to talk to people and we think it's cool. There's nothing more magical than talking to people face-to-face, really, when you can see their expressions and everything about little micro uh, expressions, even, if you can read all those things. So talking is cool, but on the flip side of it, it's always also nice when you're just text messaging somebody or typing your messages because you can be talking to so many people at the same time. And that is efficiency, that's multitasking. And that also prolongs your conversation. Whereas, you know, if I spend one hour with this friend today for coffee, face to face, but if we are not talking and we're just chatting online, a particular topic of conversation can last for days. Let's, we have to get us out of the way first, right? Like, what are you? Because you're born in the Philippines, then you moved to Canada, and then you've been all over the world living and doing business. So, yeah, what are you? What am I? Uh, that's the most interesting question to answer every time I am traveling because I'm always where I came from the last. You know? So when I was growing up, actually, when I was in the Philippines, I was Chinese because I'm a Filipino Chinese from a Filipino Chinese family. So that's one. When I moved to Canada, I was Filipino because that's where my passport came from. When I came to Singapore, I'm Canadian because that was my latest passport. And now that I'm part-time living in Uzbekistan, I'm Singaporean, which surprised me because this year when we had a lot of publicity, thank God, a lot of publicity about the business ventures I got myself into, and they were talking about investors and foreigners investing in the country, I just realized I'm Singaporean. And even when the Singapore delegation from the from Natas came to visit, I was just always introduced as the Singaporean, like we have a Singaporean here. And so I guess that's what it is. I am just the last place I came from. Have you ever felt like you never belonged in one place because you, it always seems like you're a guest in that country? Being a guest means you have less enemies as well, I realize, in my case anyway, because I'm always in and out, in and out. So I'm always the person that your friends, your colleagues want to catch up with when you just arrive, people that they want to take out for a farewell dinner before you leave. And it's always that constant catch-up, farewell, constant catch And nobody would want to offend me because I'm just always a guest wherever I am, which which makes it a good thing because I, I really don't know of any enemies that I have because I don't stay long enough to <laughs> irritate anybody, perhaps. I, I don't know. I'm just trying to <laughs> analyze that in such a way that, you know, this guy is never here long enough, so let's give him a break. <laughs> and I, you know, many, when I was a teenager, I guess, before social media and, and internet was around, I read somewhere, like, if you're ever in a threesome, you should always be the guest. 
And I'm just like, hey, that makes sense. You know, just always be the guest. I'm so going to remember that. It's a good philosophy yeah, who, to live. Who knew that you know it would work for me to you know now. So so that that's why you open a hotel because you like guests. Ah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, but why why Uzbekistan though? Why did you go there? Um, I found a good answer for that over the weekend when I was at the travel show, and many people were asking me the same question. And I say, after you've been to Uzbekistan, then you would know why. Oh. It's me attracting people to come. But uh, honestly, when I first went to Uzbekistan five years ago, six years ago now, <clears throat> didn't know where I was going. I was one of those people that every year on my birthday, I need to go to a new place that I've never been to ever. It could be a new city, new country, whatever. But that was my, op- my opportunity to see new places on my birthday. I just decided Uzbekistan. I signed up for a tour. Didn't know where the tour was going. I booked a ticket. I just went and I fell in love with it. it. It's one of those places, in fact, that I felt like I've been here before. I belong here. Like I knew where the streets were. And it's one of those, you just, I just felt comfortable everywhere. I had this, this, this ambition of owning a B&B way back before when I was a teenager. And then met somebody, met my bis- current business partner now, who had ambitions of owning a hotel. So I'm like, oh, something I've almost forgotten. It's a dream that I've forgotten already. And then somebody comes along and proposes that, well, he didn't propose it to me. He was just telling me that his plan is to build a small hotel in this part of Uzbekistan, in this land. And it just kind of all came together. So is that the same for all the other businesses you've done? Like you've had a dream about it, like you dreamed of sandwiches no. and then you opened it. Oh, so this is different. No. This is this is this is different. First of all, I mean the hotel is something I think I'm a very I'm very good at hosting, so I think I like guests <laughs> and being a guest, so it works for me. Um for my restaurant business it was more like an opportunity came up again when I was almost feeling burnt out where, where I was working and a Singapore friend also was in the same way. Late at night, we were just talking about, you know, wanting to achieve financial freedom at that time. So, hey, let's let's try this. For Tech360, it was more like a natural progression. So, you know, you're in the same line media. Let's, let's do it. Uh, so different things, different reasons. But one thing I think in common would be being presented with an opportunity that perhaps you have thought of before, but just nobody has pushed you to do it. And then it comes along and you see the right timing and you do it. So would you say that having been all over the, all over the world, right, is it, do you think it's true to say that people talk differently around the world? Oh, yeah, of course. People talk differently people use same words in a different way with different meanings it's one of those things that you need to be very conscious of it's like a linguistics kind of thing i don't know you know in university i did study linguistics and it was very very interesting to me to learn about uh, root words or how how words develop but it's more about being aware i think if you if you're very open you're very uh, aware of your surroundings, and you would notice that in different parts of the world, in different cities of the world, even in the same country, people are different. People mean different things when they say di- when they say the same thing, for example. And it's about really trying to understand where they're coming from. 
I think the important part of being able to communicate properly is knowing yourself that whoever you're talking to is always coming from a different perspective, a different language, a different background, different country, different city, different everything. And you need to understand where they're coming from. Like, for example, in Singapore, we all talk a different way. And when if you go abroad and you speak with somebody with the same perspective, it's going to be difficult to understand. You won't always try to see, you won't always see things or hear things from when they're, where they're coming from. Yeah, that's right. So it, I think it plays a lot into the context and the culture of things. But if we, let me try and tie this a little bit into your profession, right? And your career path. Because you are in communications, basically. So you are like the, the, the uh, what do you call that? Loud healer. <laughs> the news, basically, right? What's happening around the world. But it's a, it's a certain communication style. And then when you meet people as friends, like your business partner, you're talking to them as friends. And then after that, communicating with them as business partners, do you think it's different for you? Do you switch in your mind a certain way of talking to people? Or is it all the same I've to you? I've been told that I do. And if I do, it's very subconsciously doing it. I've been told, for example, like when you see a mic, you see a camera, you just speak like you are on camera on or on air, I, I don't notice that about myself, but perhaps I do because it's a it's a work hazard. You know, you see something, you do it the way you, you you're used to doing it. Uh, my business partner in Uzbekistan, though, uh, Muhammad Ali, who's you know new to knowing me because we've only known each other for five years, and I think we've only spent an extended period of time together this from this this year's. Uh, during the opening of our hotel from March to June. And he did mention that, you know, he observes me and it's like, you're the kind of person who can talk to government officials in their language. You can talk to business people uh, in the industry in their language. You can talk to your friends in our language. You can talk to little children in their language. And he's just, you know, amazed at how I can switch between, you know, it's like switching languages, but I guess it comes from my profession because as, as a journalist, we talk to so many different kinds of people, you know, as Sean, you would know, like, you know, within the next five minutes, you'll be talking to an entertainer and the next five minutes, you're talking to a politician and you just need to very, very quick about knowing what kind of language uh, you should be using to talk to different people and what kind of level of understanding as well. So I want to touch on a little bit of a... Um... I, I think it might be a little bit of a sensitive question, right? But um, accents. Tim, what accent do you think that you have right now? Like, do you carry? I don't know. It's always been said that the, the, the most standard Canadian accent is an accentless accent. Like, it's very neutral. You know, like, you would know if it's an American, for example. I mean, if, oh, we, yeah, if we live oh, yeah. in long enough in North America, you would know an American accent. But when you hear a Canadian speaking, and this is standard Canadian accent, of course, it will be a little bit harder to place where this person is from. It's not from the Northeast. It's not from the West. It's not from the South. It's just a very standard accent. And when I was in journalism school, we were always told that some of the, at that time, 
people like Peter Jennings or Alex Trebek. They're, they're, they're all gone now. But these are all Canadians, and they got to where they are in the United States because their accents are so neutral. It's, it's very, I guess, pleasant on the ears. Yeah. It's not the fictional Midwestern accent, Mid-Atlantic accent, but it's just neutral. Did you feel like you had to train for that? Or did you, you know, like you got better at that over the years? Or did it really just come naturally to you? I think I just got better throughout the, through the years because you start, when you start meeting people, you start understanding people. My first job as a reporter on radio way back in the 90s, you, you speak with police officers, you speak with police chair, uh, whatever you call them. I don't even know what they're called now. Uh, commissioners, you speak to mayors, you speak to a victim of something, you speak to a crying mother, you speak to somebody who just lost somebody from an accident. It's just so many different types of people you can talk to in, in a given five hours, and you just have to be very sensitive and very aware of uh, where these people are coming from, and what kind of topics you're talking talking about. So I think through the years of doing this kind of work, it just became a natural thing for me to develop, uh, like an evolution kind of thing. And even in a personal life with your friends, you you speak depending on their persona as well. You know, a fun friend, you speak in a fun language, in a fun way. Person you go out partying with, you know, you don't talk about certain things. It's just like that. That's true. You also have different subsets of friends, right? <laughs> in your life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So so it sounds like you you are really, really great at like initiating a conversation, like small talk and so on. Like how how do you get so good at it? I used to be very, very, very shy. <laughs> really? As a as a yes, I was very, very shy probably until I was late teens when I started developing more confidence and, and talking to people. I think as I, I grew older I just became more confident. Like I can approach people out of nowhere and have small talk. Maybe maybe I learned it from my mom because my mom is very good at talking to people uh, and and creating some kind of connection with people. Maybe I learned it from them and developed it. Uh, whenever I travel with other groups of media people, and they were they would always tell me like Tim is always talking to media from other countries in the same room, and it's just the way it is. But it comes with experience. It comes with the experience of being able to, I guess, travel alone and you have no choice. You have to speak to strangers to ask for directions and things like that. You know, as they say, men, when we're driving, we never ask for directions. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> Is that yeah, true? It's, it's like that. <laughs> it's like that until you're desperate. So <laughs> when you're traveling and you're desperate, you need to ask for directions because your orientation of everything is still not quite right. Um, so that's one of those things. Just You just have to put on that thick face and ask. It comes with practice. And now I'm very good at when I see people like lost, even if I'm traveling to a new city, but I know it a little bit more. I don't have any issues going up to them and asking them, like, do you need help? Like, maybe I can help you if you're trying. Like, it, it's like, yeah, now you don't think about it. You just do it. It comes with curiosity, I think, because when I see people from a different country, different language, I want to learn, know where they're from. I mean, that's a good conversation starter. What they do, uh, you know, what, what, what publication they, they write for, things like that. Um, and even when I was with this, so the first time I went to Uzbekistan, I was with a group of 
all of us were solo travelers and they were just joking like everywhere we go we turn around and Tim is talking to some locals <laughs> but, but that's the point right I mean if you've gone all the way there why do you want to go talk to your friend you want to talk to a local now, even then they were not my friends but you know it's like yeah if, if there's somebody something interesting I would want to get to know them but you know having talked having been through like talk so many media and talking to so many uh, you know people in different countries so now, do you find that that stereotype that you know Asians just don't talk as well as Westerners uh, is true, especially like especially like white Caucasians. You know, I mean, you, okay, I mean, yeah, you you look you're obviously Asian, but you know you have the Canadian accent as well. So do you think that that in a way affects the way that people look at you or communicate with you and perceive? You? Yes and no. I think uh, there are certain people from, uh, and I'm generalizing here, certain types of cultures where, where people talk more and are more open uh it could be meaningless nothings but they just want to talk to anybody who would you know like how's the weather and how's your food and i think i can be that person as well but from there you then start to develop better connections with everybody uh in in the radio for example and in our work as media people i really like to talk to Americans because they're the easiest to interview. They they have things to yeah, say. So what, why is that though? Yeah, why 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 are they why why is that why are they having like such an easier time to talk than someone like who's Asian or something? <laughs> I think it's just culture. I mean, in, in America, it's just like that. You go to a store and order your drink, and you ask them how they are doing, how's your how's your day, you know, and it's simple little meaningless pleasantries is a good way to develop communication skills. When I, I remember this, when I was new in Canada and I was in a drive-through with my aunt and she was talking to the McDonald's person like, hey, how are you? How are your kids? I'm like, oh, you know her? It's like, no. But <laughs> it's just the way it is. Like, how do you know she has kids? I'm like, well, she looks like she has one. So it's just like that. <laughs> she looks like she has one. <laughs> Whereas in Singapore, when I first came here and in my first uh, condo that I was staying at, I would, you know, if I'm in the lift with somebody, I would say hi or goodbye or good night or good morning to a point that one of my neighbor asked me, like, are you a flight attendant? I'm like, why? It's like, because you're always saying hi to, to us. <laughs> to strangers, I'm right? Like, <laughs> We're in you the know, same lift. I'm not just going to ignore you. Yeah, and you're my neighbor, right? <laughs> if I don't speak to anyone, who else am I going to speak to in this in this place I uh, live in? But it's true, you know, I, I'm... So right now, I'm in the US and uh, I'm surrounded by two types of people. Obviously, it's the locals and we do have a small community of uh, Asians, specifically foreigners over here. And there is a very distinct difference in how the two groups of people communicate. The Americans really, and, and I'm in small town America, so you go to the store and they will spend five minutes just talking to you after taking your Starbucks order. It's like, how's it going? Oh yeah, about nothing, that's right. Really. Yeah, about nothing, absolutely nothing. And you realize these two people don't know each other. There was just a transaction that happened between them. And then um, the Asians will be like, I just want my order right now. I just want you to cash me out. It's, it's the transaction. I have no other relationship with you. Can you please just take my order? 
and it's um <clears throat> but I find that like what you said it's it's really just doing it over and over again and they get used to it people ask you about a personal thing and I think it's a cultural thing as well where you get used to talking about personal things to strangers without being very suspicious of like why are you asking me this Whereas I think like personal might, to yeah. a certain extent. To a certain extent, yeah. Well, for, for context, she's in one of those small towns that you know you would film like screaming, where you get ghost face come out there and start to hack everybody <laughs> in in somewhere in Pittsburgh. And oh goodness knows what's in Pittsburgh. But how much do you guys think that this is actually like individualism, actually, rather than culture? I think it's about exposure and about learning what's around you and being being open enough and willing to learn. Some of us Asians, we go overseas and we stick to our own community. Oh, I totally know what you mean. I mean, I've, having been to overseas universities, I've noticed yes. that happens. Uh, clicks, and when you clicks. do that, you, you're not learned from others, I think. And I, I have this privilege maybe of when I went to Canada, went to public school, and even though back then they were predominantly Asian, I did make friends with other people. So I kind of learned I'm the kind of person who would like to observe, and, and perhaps I've been doing this since I was young, learn something, or if I like something good about what somebody is doing, then I'll be more open to learning from that, from, you know, why are you doing this, and is this, this is a good thing. And I did notice, like, as an Asian in Vancouver, there's a Filipino-Chinese community, uh, and I was never really part of it. I mean, I was, yes, I know them. I would say, you know, we would hang out once in a while, but I was never part of the association. You're always sort of like blending in with the others. I can blend in with that group and I can also blend in with the other, but I'm not solely with one group of people at any one time, except for my group, close friends, of course. So, yeah, I'm that kind. I wonder as well, is this... Is this like capitalism, right? Because, you know, how we are in Singapore and especially in Asia, uh, more so, I guess, uh, but actually the world in general as well is just very capitalist. And I think, you know, it defines what success looks like and what it means to be a good person, like a transaction. And so it's like, I want to talk to you because I want to talk to you. I want to talk to someone because we're exchanging something. We're exchanging money or the subside for me to talk to you because it's going to lead to something. I'm going to do certain things. In, in a sense, I'm thinking like sometimes when I, someone wants to talk to me, I'm like, or when I want to talk to someone, I'm thinking, are they going to think this is like suspicious? Like, what do you want? Like, you know, you yeah. begin to question their <laughs> motives. Like, yeah, like what do you want from me? Or, or maybe they'll be think, or maybe if I talk to him, is he going to think that I want something from him or something? And then, you know, it's like, it kind of like makes connections really hard, I guess. Like, do how do you, even then start to talk to someone without the whole thing being so loaded? I think by being open to, I don't know, I, you, you observe somebody and you talk about what they're doing. Not, don't, don't ask about things that are so far down the road. Like I never ask people, what, what kind of work do you do? Like if it's a total stranger, for example, I'm traveling with sitting on the bus. I don't ask those things, but we talk about whatever we're seeing outside the window. Uh, whatever we're experiencing together. You're in the grocery and you're looking at a product and you kind of ask, like, have you tried this? You know, is it good? Just things like that so that you don't arouse suspicion, especially these days. Everyone is suspicious about everybody else. So there are ways, there are topics out there that you can keep as general as possible. Yeah, you know, this thing about the what do you do is something that I had to learn, you know, because I think in at least how I learned to communicate, a lot of it was through 
networking sessions. And in networking sessions, it's very, it's very typical for you to say, oh, so what do you do? So that was my baseline of how to start a conversation. And I realized when you meet someone outside of a networking session, it's actually a very private question that you cannot ask. Well, not cannot, you know, it's, it's just a bit like, why do you want to know? So Private. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that I had to learn because that was my that was my go-to question. <laughs> but going back to your question, Sean, about capitalism, and I think, you know, I read somewhere that you ask people or people ask you what you do because they want to gauge where you are and how they can talk to you and prejudge you and things like that, which is fair enough, of course, but there are ways of finding out what a person is doing just by continuing continuing to talk about things around them and it will come out. Yeah, that's true. It's an art of, art of conversation, basically. I think the problem with the networking part is that there are things that we are told we should be asking and should not be asking and people try to stick to it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and perhaps I have the benefit of not having any self-help books or things like that. I never did any of that. It's just by, by learning and observing and and then, it's your personality, yeah, made, made basically. It <laughs> you know, I, I feel that there's also a lot of social anxiety, uh, as, you know, especially for that sort of thing. And you know, there's this irrational fear that, okay, I'm going to mess this up. Like, I'm going to go to this network session, I'm going to make a fool of myself and in, in a completely make a fool of myself in this social situation. I think I have the benefit of, because of my profession and my work and the various other things that I do, there are many things that people can introduce me as. Makes it so much easier. Like what I always tell people is like, my work, my job for the past 20 years opens doors and windows for me that I would never have the opportunity to see if it wasn't for the job that I was doing. Because now there is a story behind Tim used to be from Channel News Asia. He's now a travel agent with a hotel, you know, things like that. That's how it became easier for me. I've never had to struggle in networking sessions to meet people because people uh, introduce always me introducing to you. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. You, well, my situation is just about learning how to have thick skin, very thick skin. And not being afraid and plus, of being of course, embarrassed. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that uh for Asians is a little bit I think we grew up maybe with a thinner skin. And I don't know, now that I'm thinking about and talking to you guys about this, I don't think we were ever told to be shy. Were you guys ever told to be shy growing up? It wasn't really told to be shy, but I was told that, you know, I guess a bit of a, I don't know if you want to call it like a siege mentality or something, but you always want to be very careful because, you know, you like don't want to like reveal too much to other people. You don't know really what their intentions are and so on. So, I guess it's maybe it's not really shy. I think maybe the word is guarded. Reserve. Reserved. Like yeah, there's reserve, certain maybe, things yeah, that you can talk about you and you cannot talk about. And most of the time it's just don't talk about it. <laughs> don't talk. Don't talk. I think there are <laughs> natural ways of opening up when when you're talking to somebody. Make it sound like you're actually very open, but you're not revealing anything. That is true. That's true. <laughs> like just saying a lot of things it without actually saying I, anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly what we're doing right now. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it could be an art form because a lot of a lot of journalists, a lot of politicians, a lot of very well trained uh, CEOs are are that. If you kind of analyze what they say, they're saying so many things without saying anything. Yeah, that's true. You walk away as like, okay, so what? What was it? <laughs> so that's how they do it's, it. Yeah, like you didn't say anything. So I wanted to ask, and then diving deeper into it. Especially, I think, in Asian countries, or maybe just in Singapore, right? It's a very unspoken thing. If you speak with an accent, it makes people think that uh, you are more educated, right? Or you're trying to put on the front. Have you ever felt that? Yes, uh, many times. It's easy for, maybe it's our profession, that for people like us, we would know immediately if somebody's putting on an accent. <laughs> <laughs> Not just in Singapore, but in anywhere in the world, it's easy to spot somebody who has who is just putting it on. <laughs> Not a bad thing because I think they're trying their hard to be taken seriously, and it is very true that people perceive accents with certain, you know, stereotypes. You can have the smartest people who might just have the wrong accent. And would sound stupid to your ear, even though he's saying a lot of good things. Yeah. And you can have somebody with a very posh British accent, but not really saying anything, but you would think like, hey, this person is very smart. Yeah, that's true. I think especially in Singapore is, is that, that way. So I was researching about this, right? And apparently there's a term for this. It's called linguistics. So the study of linguistics examines how language is used to construct race and how ideas of race influence language and language use, which is very, very deep and chimed by goddess of Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. but and may maybe it's because we've been bombarded by all these ideas from pop culture that certain languages... Certain characters you watch in movies speak a certain way and are perceived to be smarter, and it's got, you got like a higher chance of people, you know, of success. I don't think I don't even think it has to do with the physical appearance, but maybe it's the way you can communicate, and there are just certain style of speaking that is more convincing. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember this, but during those times when we had home shopping TV, whatever. Oh yes. Oh, I, I do love remember that. in North America at that time. They're always using an accent to me that was always annoying. And you can't put a geographic location. You just know it's a little bit foreign, but you can't pinpoint exactly what it is. And I've often wondered why. But I think it's just because this kind of speaking sells more. Yeah, it might be. Could be that. I mean... I mean, this is why people right? go in into America, voice training, right? And then how you speak. Yes. But even the accent, because I think in America, perhaps, if it's a foreign English accent, like they love Australian accent. They love the British accent, for example. You know, it, it just gives them a sense that this is something different, something better. Yeah, it's like more exotic in a way. You know straight away that it is not from here, and so you just perk up a little bit more. And and there was always, um, I think, especially in the recent couple of years, right, where news was coming up about code switch um, or how people are code switching. I think this was especially uh, thrown into the spotlight when the TikTok CEO had to appear in court 
and he was talking and everybody was like, oh, he's Singaporean, but why does he speak with non-Singlish accent? Or like, he's just not speaking in Singlish. He was, he had a Singaporean accent. He was just not speaking in Singlish. <laughs> and people were a bit thrown off by that. And, and I, I don't He know. knew his audience. He was very well trained. Oh, yeah, yeah. To speak to the people he needed to speak to. Yeah. It was, and it, I don't think it's even just about the accent, but it's the way you talk, the words that you use. Have you guys seen those things where they compare former President Barack Obama saying something and former President Donald Trump saying something and the level of language that they use is so different because they're talking to different audiences? Oh, I haven't seen the comparison between those two in particular. I think there was a comparison made between how Donald Trump announced that the that American troops have killed one of the terrorists and they went with guns and shooting and big that you know the way he explained how the troops just went in there it's amazing because it's like this guy knows who he needs to talk to and they both did I, I think that's true because you you might think at least for us right we are Singaporean so used to having a very small country and everybody more or less thinking in the same way or you know the uncles and aunties are think this way. The if you're a certain age, you think this way. But uh, in America, what I learned over here is it's really very huge, and the types of mindset is very huge. So you might call them Americans, but you can have very dividing opinions. And you know, someone like what you mentioned, Obama speaks to the audience that he's speaking to, and Trump, whether you love him or not has his own supporters as well because he's speaking their language, right? And it's, it, it can be a very large population over here. And I think a good communicator knows that and should ought to know who they're talking to and what kind of language that they should be using, what kind of tone and all that. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the most effective way of doing things. I was on the note of effective way of doing things and moving away from accents. But I think you've been very effective in your businesses, Tim. Uh, for sure, it, it is quite um quite remarkable what you've done. And what I found, what I was really wanted to find out was really how do you approach like the conflicts in your business? How do you talk about the conflicts in your business? Because I mean, and well, why I say that is because you know I I think what's really interesting was that I saw this study a while back where researchers were asking people how you approach uh, conflicts with friends, for example, or business partners versus like you know your your romantic partner. And generally, you know, people expected that you actively address the problem with your romantic partner, right? Because, you know, you never go to bed angry with your wife and so on. But with friends, with, with friends and business partners, it becomes very passive. You know, you like, you want to say nothing, uh, just kind of hope that the issue goes away and on its own. And then you put some, or you just put some distance in that friendship rather than talk about the problem. But, and I think I've done the same myself. So I'm a Libra, so I'm a de-conflict kind of person. For me, it's, it's, it's natural, I think, to approach a conflict without the conflict. I don't know how I do it, but out of all my business partners, I haven't had any arguments with any of them in a major way. I just always try to explain things from my side. Uh, if there's there's an issue, you hear their side of the issue. And I think if you're mature enough, adult enough, you, you will find a middle point. And at some point, each of you will see each other's opinions and and work it out that way. I've never been in conflict with anyone, come to think of it. Is it just like etiquette, like, you know, let's all just be polite, as you know, like you just said, and, and you know, how, like, I don't, 
like yeah, it's it just feels like it, right? It's like let's just go and be all like uh uh. uh polite and, and differential and it doesn't matter if it bothers me i'm not going yeah, to talk about exactly. it well not that you're not going to talk about it but hey if you have a different opinion let's do it your way try it if it works then good if it doesn't let's try my way it's a compromise i guess life is all about compromises and you have chosen your your business partners or your friends according to that as well like you know people who can really who can communicate yeah, and even when I was on TV, for example, and I was working with different cameramen out on shoots, and I want certain things shot this way, but they would be like, no, it's, it has to be this way. I'm like, it's fine. You, you shoot it the way you think it should be done. You shoot it the way I think it should be done, and then we'll just see which one works. That way, nobody gets angry. Everyone gets their way. And in the end, you know, they're the expert. You're not. So maybe they do theirs better. But was it? ever a time because it seemed like completely well first and foremost while speaking to you I, I get a sense that A you're completely optimistic and extroverted and it makes me wonder then is do you consider yourself to be that and have there ever been really a time where you had such a big difficulty like trying to make the connection you really wanted or, or talk to someone they really wanted to but you just you know couldn't couldn't get it back to it I am optimistic that much I know uh, <laughs> I always approach things, life, everything with positivity. I don't know why, but it just happens. Uh, as for anyone I want to talk to that I've never... Like, you mean in a networking session or something like that? Like, yeah, like, you know, you felt like I really, really want to get, make a connection with someone or I really wanted to speak to someone, whoever the someone may be, but you just couldn't do it. And you thought that, oh man, that I'm never going to lift this down. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had that? Try as you may, never happen kind of situation. Can't think of a uh, situation. Like I might have been, I might have forgotten if ever because I'm so optimistic. <laughs> it just comes. I mean, naturally. if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And if you're going to connect with someone, you're going to connect with somebody. I guess it's like the fear of. No need to uh, if I think Sean, what you're talking about here is. You want to talk to someone, but you're very afraid that um, this person is going to turn you down, turn you away. And then after that, you never have a chance to build any connection with this person anymore. And it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, something something like that. I was wondering, like, have you ever encountered that, like? It's their loss. It's like one of those. Situ- it's like a. It's like the prisoner's dilemma, right? Like you know, we are we are like I. I don't trust them, or they don't. They, they I don't trust them to trust me, and then of course I'm already thinking in their head, and uh, you know, I, I. I. It's very hard to break that. It's just making that first like push out of that prison. In I that think sense. there's. It's always there's always gonna be something like that, but I I probably one of those I get over it. Whatever, moving on. <laughs> next one <laughs> well, don't dwell on it that I think that's a good mindset to have yeah and now this is a lot simpler in a sense like we are talking to each other without really talking like you know you click on like LinkedIn and you just uh, or you just drop them a DM and you hope that okay I'm there gonna like say something so it, it kind of makes me wonder though like you know are we really talking to people or are we just or are we just gonna just end up more lonely in a, in a, you know because talking face to face has gotten pretty uncool I think talking face to face has its own magic, but you're if you think about it this way, uh, if you're meeting up with you know people face to face for two three hours, you're only with 
those two or three people you're with, as opposed to doing what we're doing now. I'm talking to you, but I'm still reading messages from other people, not replying because I'm concentrating, but I'm connected with a lot more people at the same time. If we are face to face in person and somebody's doing something else, even though they, even though they say they're listening to you and that you know they are, it's just the act of looking at people can be distracting and perhaps not polite. In a good and bad way, if it's managed well, I think all these talking to people virtually online, typing text messages, or plenty of chat rooms at the same time, it's still better than not communicating at all. So so why do you think that there's so many lonely people out there then? I mean, a lot of people are feeling like disconnected, especially what happened in the last two years, and they feel like they don't they feel like they don't have anybody to confide in and so on. So why do you think that people are feeling that way or what is behind all of that? Mindset? I don't know about you guys, but during the past two, three years of COVID was when I made more connections with people in Singapore because I was here. It gave me a chance to to catch up with people several times. Whereas they would say, you know, in a normal time, we'll all be traveling at some point that we only get to see each other once a year. But during the three years, we were doing it regularly. Um, when it comes to loneliness, it could be just mindset. I think, A, it's fun to be alone. I think we all realize that. <laughs> and being alone doesn't mean you're lonely. Some people think like eating alone in a restaurant is lonely. It's sad. No, it's not. I love it. Uh, <laughs> it's it, yeah, exactly. Enjoying your own company is the best thing. It's just probably because we've been told so many times that no man is an island. You need to be with somebody. You need to hang out with somebody. You need to be with friends and do things with someone. But yeah, that's right. It's probably not the case. I think they should just find the joy of doing things alone. I mean, loneliness, I know it's, it's, could, it could be a mental condition I know nothing about. Uh, and in this day and age, there's so much attention put into how we feel. Back in my days, we didn't have any of this. You kind of snap out of it and on. But these days, we can't say that anymore. I don't know why. It could be because there's not enough. I mean, growing up, for example, parents are busy working and, you, you know, they're not there for you. And you're not brought up full circle the way my generation used to be. It could be that. I mean, I've heard of young children, students these days, going to school, you know, not seeing their parents for days because their timing just don't work out together. So I think effort there needs to be effort to, to put into making sure that you are raising your children. Right. Again, I'm not a parent, so I don't know anything about this. But one thing as well is the amount of attention the media people are putting into loneliness. When I was a reporter, my first job as a reporter, we don't talk about these things because it was it was understood that when when you're bringing things up, other people, other impressionable people, will think it's okay or it's cool to be this way, mm. and then it becomes them. You know, but these days things have changed, of course. But back then, we were not allowed to do all these things in the media. Perhaps that has something to do with it. I don't know. I'm not an expert, so don't quote me on that. <laughs> so on that note of growing up, Tim, if you could look back at your, uh, well, when you were the most uncool, when was that? And what would you say to yourself now with that hindsight? That's, that's right. This is an uncool podcast. I remember back in early 2000s, I did write about 
something. I don't remember what it was, but I think I was turning mid-30s or something. And the best part about it is you don't have to be cool anymore in your mid-30s. You don't have to, to it, you, you know, you, you, you don't have to go clubbing. You don't have to dance. You don't have to know the latest craze and latest music and things like that to be cool because you're just fine being who you are. And I think that in itself is cool, just to be who you are without anyone telling you how to behave, how to dress, how, what music to listen to. Like all that hype is beyond you now that you're older. And I think just growing old in itself is cool. Hey folks, do you like scary movies? Have you ever wondered what goes into making one? If so, check out the new podcast, Scary Mare, that's hosted by horror creators Carl Gunn and Goming Siu. In each episode, they decide whether horror films and series are scary or just meh to them. With in-depth analysis of Asian and world horror, deep dives into the nuts and bolts of creating horror, and illuminating interviews with special guests, it's a podcast not to be missed for fans and practitioners of the genre alike. The first episode features special guest Kelvin Tong. Find out how he's the Taylor Swift of Singapore film, and learn more about why his latest horror film, Confinement, could be a spiritual successor to his 2005 blockbuster, The Maid. It's out on Spotify right now, so scan this QR code to listen to it on Spotify right now. For our audio-only listeners, go to bit.ly slash scarymare to listen, but only after you have finished this podcast. If so, if we're going to be heading down to Uzbekistan, right, so where can we follow you and uh, well, all your uh, hotels and your tour agencies and your social media? If you look at my Instagram page, I'm managing so many things at the same time, but I have different Instagram accounts for all my activities there hotel myself but i share everything on my own personal one so if you follow my personal one you will know exactly where i am what i'm doing timothy go underscore is my personal one my hotel is bankir kiva and then there's go underscore anywhere underscore tour is my other one for the tour agency so guys if you're looking for a new place to go if you're looking for something new to eat or you just want to catch up with what tim is doing right now Please go and follow him on all his social handles and you will be able to get the latest updates from him. And that's all for this episode of Uncool. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Sean Lee Wen Cheong. Together with me, Lo Yan Ling. Editing by Ray Ng and the managing producer is Raven Lim. Uncool is part of the Freelance Creative Exchange series of podcasts. Like this show? Then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Winchong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ung. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. On the next episode of Uncool, I have noticed certain patterns. So women tend to be a lot more open about how they feel. Women tend to be able to even identify what they're feeling a little bit more easily than a man would. I would meet with some men and they would only have like three words to describe all their feelings. It was always like, I'm frustrated or I'm mad or I'm sad and that's it. Like there's nothing in between. Very efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Uncool. New episodes every Saturday.